prayer changes things. We refer to our Wednesday service as a prayer meeting or a Bible study and prayer meeting. I'd like to read from a guy named James Gilmore who wrote, My belief leads me to think that prayer is efficacious or really works, is important. And surely a day's asking God to overrule all events for good is not lost. Still, there is a great feeling that when a man is praying, he is doing nothing. And this feeling makes us give undue importance to work, sometimes even to the hurrying over or even to the neglect of prayer. That's a somber thought to me. Do I pray as if prayer is really the deciding factor in what's going to take place? Do you pray as if prayer is really the pivotal point to either make things be for God's glory or not? It's so easy to kind of get into the routine of say, well, I'm not comfortable with this or, or I'm not, um, I, don't, I don't like to pray with other people. I'm uncomfortable praying with other people. And yet often, you know, scripture talks about corporate prayer Scripture talks about praying with other people. And my goal as a pastor is to help encourage you, to lead you along to where we get to where. We, prayer is just communication with God. And like we talk with everyone else all the time, and we don't have any problems talking with individuals and asking about their day, we ought to be able to get to a place of praying with each other. And my goal is that this prayer time would continue to just grow in numbers as we really see this is an important time in our corporate uh, body. In our verses tonight, I want you to note that Jesus did not say that his people were like the widow. In fact, what Jesus is going to do, it's Luke chapter 18, he is going to contrast the widow to believers. And if you read it, understanding he's contrasting these two, I think it will make more sense. With that in mind, let's read the scripture together. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city... And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect? Which cry, night, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth? In these verses, I just want us to note, as, as we think this through, what was Jesus teaching? 
First thing, let's just do a little background. That'll help us, I think, as we talk about this together. First of all, the widow's problem. The widow had three, maybe even four, very specific problems. The first one was she was a woman. And women's rights were such to where the men transacted all the business. So here was a lady trying to get the judge to acknowledge her. A lot of times the judge, it was not like a courthouse we have today. This would have been somewhat of a mobile courthouse, maybe a tent or something that this traveling judge would do. So he would get into an area, he would set up uh, stakes, and all of a sudden here's this woman who comes in and says, I need help. I've got this guy who's my adversary, and I need help. You're a woman. I'm not interested in talking with you. Second of all, she was a widow, which means she had no husband who would step in for her and speak for her. Third thing, she was poor. And a lot of times the way you got into the court system was you would have to bribe to get in. Well, if this lady even wanted to bribe, she didn't have the money to bribe. And the last thing, if we can say the strike against her, was he was an unjust judge. He only cared about himself. He wasn't a good judge. Now, I want you to notice the second thing, and that is I want you to notice the widow's uh, persistence, and that is why did she get a judgment? She got a judgment because she just kept pushing. She bothered the unjust judge. Now, I don't know if he was afraid that she would she was going to hurt his reputation. You know, maybe he was afraid word was going to get out because she just wouldn't leave him alone. She was one of those who wasn't afraid just to keep asking and asking. Whatever it was, he finally gave in to her. Now, I want you to notice the point of the parable. The point of the parable is not to say that you are like the widow, that with God you just have to keep pleading and pleading and pleading, and finally God's going to get so tired of you asking that God will give you what you asked for. That's not what Jesus said. Notice what Jesus said. He began by saying, he spoke this parable and said unto them, men ought always to pray and not to faint. You know what he's telling us is, he said, prayer is a very important part of our life. If we don't pray, what's going to happen? We're going to faint. You see, the very thing that, what I read at the beginning, that gentleman was right on. I'm not saying you felt this way, but I felt this way. I wanna go do something, and I feel like sometimes when I really am feeling pressure, I get anxious and I think, I just need, I don't have time to pray right now. I've gotta go get this done. And the reality is, Jesus said, when we don't pray is when we faint. Therefore, he says, you don't have what you need because you didn't ask. Again, the tendency is to say, I just have to work harder. I've got to make this happen. But the reality is, God says, you don't have because you didn't ask. You say, yeah, but I need this. And he says, well, then ask for more. But I, but I also need this. Well, ask for more. You see, the point that Jesus makes is, he says, hear the story. If the judge would do this for that widow, what more would God do? 
Because let's look at the comparison here for just a moment. The judge had no relationship to this widow. We are God's children. We have the Lord Jesus Christ who pleads for us. The widow had no one to plead in her behalf. God does not need a bribe to have an audience with him. How do we know if God so loved us that he sent his son, won't he freely give us anything else if he gave his son? Do you see what he's doing is he's, he's taking it from the very least and taking it to the greatest and saying, this is how important prayer is. And if we're not a praying group, if we're not a praying people, then we're going to faint. We're going to get weary. You see, what about God makes you think that he doesn't want to hear you? I don't know, maybe we've been taught things that would lead us to believe God doesn't hear you, God doesn't care about you. No, he does care about us. Um, <clears throat> you know, there are a number of prayer requests in the Bible and specific prayers that are being mentioned. And I'm just going to take a moment. I want to talk about those for a moment. You ever think about, do you remember what Jesus Christ's prayer request was? One of his prayer requests, but one that would be very important. He says, would you pray that God would send forth laborers into the harvest fields because the fields are white? Literally, the crops are rotting in the fields that could be harvested. You know, that's Jesus' prayer request tonight. As we pray tonight, if we pray, Lord, would you just send forth laborers into the harvest fields? Do you know you're praying for the prayer request that Jesus asked us to pray for? Um, as I thought about Christ's specific prayer request and how he asks us to be specific about things, you know, sometimes our prayer requests are so generic. Now, in that I've not heard any of you recently pray this. I'm not picking on anyone, okay? But have you ever heard someone say, Lord, be with so-and-so? Now, what promise do we already have from God? I will never leave you. So we can pray, Lord, be with so-and-so, but in reality, are we asking him to do something that he's already doing? And how would we even know other than, you know, how would we know what the, what the answer to the prayer is? Pray specifically and follow along as we look at a few of these. I want, to, I want you to notice in Numbers chapter 11, so if you don't mind doing a little bit of a Bible drill tonight, if you would quickly look at Numbers chapter 11, I'm going to look at verse 1, and I want you to notice some very specific prayer requests. Now, we know this, and remember I talked about the great big prayer machine here at the front, and some of you told me on your way home there was a store that didn't accept Apple Pay after I had been teased, you were teasing me about that. God never puts bad things in the prayer machine, right? That's the reason why if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. If it's something that is not God's will, it's not in the machine. Therefore, you're not going to get that out of the machine because God doesn't give bad gifts. I think we ought to work forward and see, well, what does God's, what do we know is God's will? And we begin asking for those things. 
And why do we do that? Because God says, I want you to pray. I want you to be asking. And prayer brings our thoughts back into line with the fact that this is not about me. This is about God, that God can do this. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. Now notice what was happening. The people were grumbling, and God sends fire. And the fire starts on the outside of the camp, and it starts moving its way into the camp. And immediately what happened? The people finally recognized, we've got to ask God. He's the only one that can stop this. And they went to Moses, and they said, Moses... You're on good terms with God. Can you pray for us? And Moses prayed, and the fire stopped. Now, interestingly enough, Moses praying for the people happened on more than one occasion. Let's just zip ahead to Numbers chapter 21, verse 7. And here is the account of the people grumbling again and God sending the fiery serpents this time. And beginning at verse 5, we read, And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Now, what did they, what did they speak against? Now, I'm going to condense a couple verses here. They, they, they grumbled about being in the wilderness. They grumbled about no bread. They grumbled about no water. They said, We loathe the light bread, the manna that you have provided for us. So basically, they were saying, God, you're doing a crummy job of providing for us. And God says, Okay. And God sends the fiery serpents. And then we read in verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now in this case, God didn't stop the fiery serpents immediately. The answer to prayer came because God said, okay, Moses, this is what you need to do. You need to create brass serpents, put them up on a pole, and then if the people will look to that serpent which has been lifted up onto the pole, then you'll live. Now, the answer to prayer this time took, it was wisdom of how do you handle this. Now, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 9, and if you look at verses 12 through 29, Moses is going to recap several of the rebellions, as he's now, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. And they talk about the golden calf, and how God wanted to destroy all the people, and how God wanted to destroy Aaron, and in verse 26 of Deuteronomy chapter 9, Moses said, I prayed therefore unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, destroy not thy people and thine inheritance which thou hast redeemed um, through thy greatness, which thou hast brought forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember thy servants. And all of a sudden, as you begin reading, he says, Lord, Please don't do this because it's going to hurt your name. 
people are going to say, you started to bring us out of the land and you weren't able to bring us in. And what was he doing? He wasn't trying to manipulate God. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to somehow back God in a corner. He was pleading with God for what God wanted. Where did God want these people to be? In the promised land. What did God want them to do to bring glory to him? Moses' prayer was exactly what God's will was. Therefore, he could with confidence pray, Lord, please don't do this. This would be contrary to your will. Let's go over to Judges chapter 6. And here we find Gideon and the enemy soldiers. Now remember, we're just looking at specific prayer requests. We saw specific prayer requests that Moses gave. I want you to notice in Judges chapter 6, verse 39, Gideon and the enemy soldiers. And Gideon said unto the Lord, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry upon, only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. He did the wet fleece and the dry ground. He did the dry fleece and the wet ground. Do you notice how he prayed specifically for something? Now, he was saying, my faith is weak. God had already said, I want this to take place. He asked for something that would allow him to see this is what God wants. But he prayed specifically. Lord, you know, can you imagine if he just said, Lord, please, please bless me? How would you know? In Judges chapter 18, verse 5, the people that were in the tribe of Dan, the Danites, needed a piece of land for their family. I thought this was interesting, that they needed specific information. Where will we, where should we settle? All the land that had been given to them, they hadn't really ever claimed. And so they asked a Levite to pray for them. And the Levite said, this is the land for you. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 27, actually in verse 11, we have Hannah's prayer. And she prayed, and notice what she said, Lord, please don't forget me, remember me. But then she prayed specifically, give unto thine handmaid a man child. And in verse 27 we read, for this child I prayed, and the Lord hath given unto me my petition which I asked of him. In 2 Samuel chapter 15 verse 31 we have David and a man named Ahithophel. Ahithophel was one of his chief advisors, but Ahithophel had sided with his son and one told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. What was interesting here was Ahithophel's counsel was the right counsel. But how God turned it into foolishness was the fact that another man gave counsel and the son chose the other man's counsel. You know, sometimes we don't always know how God is going to answer prayer for us. Sometimes we have to wait for prayer requests, but that doesn't mean that God hasn't answered your prayer. In fact, faith, knowing that this is what God wants, faith 
goes forward and claims before it's actually available. Sometimes we do ask so generally that we don't know if we really got a prayer request answered or not. Or we ask so infrequently we're afraid to commit to big things in prayer. I started with a quote from James Gilmore. I'd like to finish what he had written. He said, Do not we rest in our day too much on the arm of flesh? Cannot the same wonders be done now as of old? Do not the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth still to show himself strong on behalf of those who put their trust in him? Oh, that God would give me more practical faith in him. Where is now the God of Elijah? He is waiting for Elijah to call on him.